Welcome to From City to the World. I'm your host, Vince Boudreau, the president of the City College of New York. From City to the World is a show about how the work we're doing at City College matters to people across the city and throughout the world. My guest today is Didi Mozaleski, and she is the interim executive director of the Combined Foundations for City College and the vice chair of the Appalachian Mountain Club's New York, Northern New Jersey chapter. And we're discussing democratizing the outdoors and why it matters to all of us. Now, I'm going to stay at the start that um, I was and continue to be an enthusiastic supporter of this club. I remain the club's on-campus advisor, so I am all involved in, in, in this. Working with the club made me realize something early on that, that changed my whole way of thinking about this. Uh, what I thought of as a set of activities that were, for me, mainly fun, hiking, mountain climbing, kayaking, fishing, when I brought students from CCNY into that world, almost without exception, now these are students of color, students from New York City neighborhoods, almost without exception, they talked about their accomplishments as empowerment. And they talked about hiking, climbing mountains. They would always say, I didn't know someone who looked like me was allowed to do something like this. And, and, and that made me, and I'll say us at City College, begin to think about what it would take to make the outdoors a more democratic uh, and inclusive place. Um, and so that's what we're here to talk about, the relationship between people of color, our students, and the outdoors, and what it means to make the natural world a truly and democratically open place to everyone. So our guests today work with a partnership between City College and AMC, Appalachian Mountain Club. Uh, Didi Mozaleski, our first guest, is the vice chair of the New York Northern New Jersey chapter and program coordinator, uh, chapter of the AMC. She's also the program co coordinator for our City College Appalachian Mountain Club partnership. And she's an ambassador for, I'm going to hashtag this, hashtag ladies who shred. Um, and she's here to talk with us about the partnership on the first half of the show. Justin Bailey will join us on the second half of the show. He's the Appalachian Mountain Club's volunteer relations manager, where he is directly involved with organizing volunteers across the northeastern United States. And I will say at the outset, he's also a City College graduate, and I'll say a little bit more about that later in the show. So Didi's here with me now. In addition to her work with the Appalachian Mountain Club, I'll say she is also my senior advisor. She's also the interim executive director of our combined foundations for City College. Didi, it's a real pleasure to have you as a guest on From City to the World. Thank, Thank you for you. coming. Thank you for having me. Um, so we've been working together on a project that connects our campus and specifically the Colin Powell School, where I was dean and you were the development director with the Appalachian Mountain Club. And I said earlier that I'm the campus advisor for the CCNY Outdoor Clubs, but you've really been the program's main architect. And, and as we've discussed and planned events in this program, we've adopted the framework of calling it democratizing the outdoors. And I, I wonder if we could start with you um, telling us what this means and describe the evolution of the program and, and, and its growing connection with the Appalachian Mountain Club. Sure, well first of all, thank you. Um, it started by accident. We had a number of interns who knew that you were a fly fisherman and came and said to me, we'd love to go on a trip with the, with the dean. And I said, okay, good luck, enjoy, um, and let me know how it goes. And they came back and said, no, we want the team to go out. And so you got them inspired to go out on their first trip. Where if I remember right, there were about four or five of us. There were some um, life-threatening moments, it feels like. I came back with 
probably what felt like eighth degree burns. And immediately all of us said, when can we do this again? And how can we make this more formalized as part of our program? And at the same time, we learned of a program that was being run by your sister, Susie Allman, who was uh, leading a specialized bus from Tuxedo in New York up to Harriman. At the same time, Appalachian Mountain Club was looking at property in Harriman. They were looking at the outdoor center there at Harriman, Harriman's uh, Betsy Cormac Center. And the three worlds con converged. And I remember when the first conversation started, how could we get students involved? Um, the idea was that we would look at students who might have some outdoor experience. And we got very lucky. Our first two leaders are both long-term camp girls who had spent 10 to 15 years hiking in Harriman, had a love of the outdoors, and got even luckier that Justin was willing to partner with us. And so that's how it all started, but it started by accident. Three different universes coming together saying, how can we figure out how to get our city college students to move a little further north into New York and find out about the outdoors? I want to, and this is going to be, I'm afraid, a show that's full of plugs. So Sorry. since you <laughs> mentioned my sister, let me just say that the she runs a website called uh, myherriman.com, named after Harriman Park up there. The whole purpose of that is to get people who don't necessarily have cars, live in the city, but want to get out in the outdoors. She maps out how you can which train to ride, where to get off, what trail to hike on. So it's really designed to open up this vast resource, Harriman Park and Bear Mountain, to uh, an urban population that may not be able to hop in a car and drive up and, 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 and do hiking. Can you talk a little bit about this, this, this framework that we've adopted, democratizing the outdoors? You work pretty closely with a lot of these students. What have you seen in their embrace of this, of this set of activities? So I've seen, um, I've seen each of them go from being extremely shy, even the ones with the most experience in the outdoors, worried that as students from the city, there wasn't a space for them. Um, and when they say space, they mean a place they'd be welcome. And I've watched them take small steps. Um, I've watched them lead small hikes. I've watched them reach out to other students and say, come on up. Um, we thought we would have maybe five or six hikes a year where three or four students would go together to Van Cortland or Central Park or, you know, maybe Harriman. And we have moved into a 52-week cycle. So it's 52 weeks, 52 weeks a year they're hiking or they're camping or they're learning novice backpacking or they're learning emergency service providing in the wilderness. Um, we have gone from a small club of five students in the dean's office to one of the fastest growing student clubs on campus. We have gone from having students be hesitant about their place in the outdoors to leading adults. Many of them have gone on trail conservation trips where they're leading adults who are in their 60s and 70s. And these students don't look like them. They come from different backgrounds. And it no longer matters to them because they found their space. Yeah. This question of uh, you know, students going out into a space where people don't look like them and, and maybe where they feel like they're not welcome and claiming that space and excelling in that space is, is, is really so important to this program. Um, and you've, you've worked with some of the students that have been in this program. Can you talk a little bit about the experience of, and I, here's another disclosure, the very first um, AMC intern is a young woman named Akasha Solis who um, happens to be your daughter. Correct. Can you talk about that a bit? Sure. Um, so first I have to say most people don't realize they don't belong someplace until someone else tells them. Mm -hmm. And so the stories you hear is of any number of the students, myself included, um, my friends at Outdoor Afro included, my friends at AMC included, who show up 
excited, nervous, ready to go, and someone says, oh, you hike, or oh, you swim, or or you whatever. And so I think the first challenge was to break down the surprise that they might be there. That's, that was challenge one. Uh, challenge two was other colleges in the city have these programs. Columbia has a program, NYU has a program, and it seemed like it was only surprising that the CUNY school would have this program, and mm-hmm. it shouldn't be. Um, we are 45 minutes from Harriman. We are five minutes from the beginning of the long path. You cross the George Washington Bridge, and you have a 300-mile trail that leads upstate. And our students should know that that's their, that's their space. Um, so what's been interesting is watching them grow first accustomed to having to answer the question, oh, you are here and why, to not remembering that they're different. And I think that's been the, the best part of this, is watching these students not realize that they look different or they come from different backgrounds or they have different gear or they're, you know, accessorized differently and they're just out there mm-hmm. and they're leading other people that look like them or don't look like them and it no longer matters to them. And so I think the big goal of the Outdoors Club has been to break down the difference and the difference that people see as opposed to how they felt and say, we belong here just as much as anyone else. Yeah. Is it, I mean, so we're talking about access to the outdoors, mm-hmm. but have you seen this play out in, in, in other areas of their life? Or is, is this just about getting our students into the outdoors or no. is there a bigger game? Uh, we have a student, the, so the first two club leaders, Akasha and her partner, Ashley Stein, um, Ashley graduated last year and was a little unsure of herself two years ago. She is now in a master's program at Columbia that she will absolutely tell you she credits the outdoor club and the leadership skills she learned there and the mentoring she had to give to other students there with giving her the the passion to apply for this program that three years ago she thought was out of reach. Mm-hmm. Um, she'll be graduating next year. She's got a career path lined out ahead of her. And she's she's a mirror image of every other story in this group. Every single one of these students has left the country after joining this club. They've gone on study abroad trips. They've done international trail conservation work. They've put themselves in situations that they wouldn't have thought of prior to being part of a group that said, doesn't matter what you look like. You mentioned in passing just a few minutes ago, and I, I, I want it not to go quickly past our listeners. You mentioned the group Outdoor mm-hmm. Afro. And in fact, the more we've gotten into this space, the more groups we've identified. There's a web page called Unlikely Hikers. You're part of a group called um, Women Who Shred. You're, a, you're an ambassador for that. And I mean, there is a kind of emerging ecosystem mm-hmm. of people who've recognized the same thing, who've recognized that um, there is a whole community of people who individually don't look like an average hiker, but should. Right. What do you think of this, 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 this group? I mean, what kind of interactions have you had with them, and, and why is, is this an important new development? I, so I should say that... Um, the history of people who look more like me than they look like the average, and I'll say this Appalachian Mountain Club member, who might be mid-60s, mid-70s, um, we've always been in the outdoors. The national park systems were cleared by the Buffalo Soldiers, mm-hmm. and I think most people have forgotten that. Um, I think that the outdoor space, especially as people began migrating from the south into northern cities where they were doing more industrial jobs, it sort of stripped them from their outdoor um, the, the remembrance of the outdoors. I think that the outdoors became dangerous. I can remember being as, uh, as a kid, my mom saying, you know, I could go anywhere in the streets, but I couldn't go to the backwoods of the neighborhood. I couldn't go to 
you know, the pool areas. I couldn't go places where historically members of my family would have been traumatized by being in those places by people who said you didn't belong here. I think that's one thing. I think a Jenny Brusso who runs Unlikely Hikers, she is an openly bisexual woman who is surrounded by people who identify as binary. She is a plus, you know, plus size woman and she has been she's been a van she's been a leader in this. She has gone out into places, she's led small hikes, big hikes, you know, tall hikes, short hikes. She's now has a sponsorship. She's recently quit her job. She was a waitress for decades. And she quit her job because she got sponsorship from some of the major players in the field, you know, the Patagonias of the world, the Suntos of the world, who five years ago weren't thinking about us unlikely people. There's an entire community of um, hiking while brown, um, melanin base camp, um, Latino mm. hikers, um, fishing while brown. There's an entire culture of people who have been doing this for years. You know, I'm new to this. I'm about four years in. There's people who have been doing this their whole lives. And I don't think they thought of themselves as unlikely. It's just something they did. I think the unlikely moniker is because everyone else questions. That's what I think the space is. Um, it's wide open. Mm-hmm. You know, Outdoor Afro was founded by a woman who wanted to, to bring people into the outdoors in her neighborhood. And it's become an international success. Um, there's chapters all over the country. And they do, you know, they've got a, they just came back from a trip to Kilimanjaro. An, an all black trip. An all-American black trip to Kilimanjaro because people forget that there are people hiking who are not Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the space has been wide open, and I think that's it, it makes it easier for everyone else. Mm-hmm. So you fairly recently became the chair of the New York, Northern New Jersey chapter of the AMC. Um, and I have a few questions about that. First, uh, you know, can you talk a little bit about how you got involved in that organization and what it's meant to you? to take on a leadership role, particularly as somebody who is relatively new Mm -hmm. to the outdoors. And second, I understand that as an AMC officer, one of your responsibilities is to think about some programming initiatives. And the things that you've come up with revolve specifically around this same theme, around democratizing the outdoors, getting people who other people might consider to be unlikely hikers or swimmers involved in that activity. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, but let's start with, um, you know, what does it mean to you to be part of AMC in the leadership capacity that you now have? You know, again, an accident. Mm. Um, I was not part of the AMC universe. Um, I became a member after I became the staff volunteer for the Outdoor Club. I thought it was important that if I was asking the students to become more involved, that I should be more involved. And then the more you learn about AMC's work, you learn that they are one of the oldest conservation programs in the country. They've got a tremendous um, lobbying effort to protect the outdoors, and I wanted to get more involved. And when there was a series of openings in the, in the chapter leadership, I, I offered to do anything. I said I'd wash windows, you know, I'd come <laughs> in, I'd plan events. Um, I kind of assumed they'd ask me to do things like fundraising. And when they asked me to take on vice chairmanship, I thought, what does that mean? And how can I, what kind of impact can I make? Um, and because everybody is sort of thinking about their diversity goals, I wanted it to not be a diversity marker that they were hitting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was important to me that there be solid work behind what they were asking me to do. And so that's how I became involved. I've been uh, vice chair for the last year. I've just accepted a second year. Um, I hope to continue as long as they'll have me. What has it meant? It's meant being a different voice for, for the chapter. It means representing AMC na- uh, national differently than they may have been in the past. We've got a, a huge membership base here in New York. And New York is unlike any other AMC chapter. 
and that our membership base spans every age, every ethnic background, every economic background. And so we look and act differently than every other chapter, which means we have a, a big impact on the, on the community at large, and we have a huge responsibility. And I think that just showing up at a place like the annual summit, where um, every, it's well known of 500 people, I was the only person who looked like me. Um, that makes a difference because next year I won't be the only person and five years from now I won't be the only person. Um, and so that's kind of where, where the AMC partnership for me started. And, you know, the external, the, the external organizations we're allowed to work with now or we're able to work with now come because there's a different voice talking to them. And that's mm-hmm. clear as a bell. I mean, they'll t- any place that we've gone now can see AMC is looking to open the doors for all, the same way we talk about here on campus. And so it makes the relationship stronger. It makes it easier to have. Um, I've got a couple of uh, things I have to accomplish this year. So one of my markers is a diversity initiative. And we don't just mean diversity of color. We mean diversity of thought. We mean diversity of age. We mean diversity of background. And I've got a couple of other projects I'd like to launch. Um, I'm extremely interested in in adults learning how to swim. Um, I was an adult. I was 35 when I learned. And and when you say adults learning to swim, you're not talking about any adults, right? I mean, we, we've talked a little bit about this, the, the, the idea that African-Americans mm-hmm. don't swim, we're told they're not supposed to swim. Talk it, a little bit about that. There is a current statistic that 67% of African-Americans do not learn how to swim during their early adolescent into early adulthood. And that means by the time you become a 30-year-old, or in my case, I was 35, you have a fear of the water that's much greater than you would have if you learned to, to swim at eight. You don't become as good a swimmer. Um, you are unable to put yourself in, in places where water is the big is a big driving force. And so you end up being excluded from things. There's a reason for that. Pre-civil rights were allowed to go to the pools. They became a place of danger. Post-civil rights, as, as education organizations were underfunded, you lose arts, you lose athletics, you lose pools. Um, the last thing that a place will invest in is, is, a, is a water sport of some kind if they have other budget shortfalls. And so you have entire uh, stretches of the country where people just don't learn how to swim. If you live in communities where you are around a lake or a pool and you never learn how to swim, it becomes a place of danger, so you don't think to do it as an adult. And so the, the goal is to increase both awareness and access. Um, you know, New York City, I, I, did, I did this a few years ago, New York City has eight pools that are, that are wide open to the public that no one knows about. The Y has a fantastic swimming program that is underutilized by most people. Um, Van Cortlandt Park has free, pool, uh, free swimming lessons for children under the age of five. That's how my daughter learned how to swim. People don't know how to access these things. And so if you are in any of the five boroughs and your children haven't learned how to swim and you don't know that there's a free summer program, that's 18 years that are going to go by before they get access to something. Um, and so the, 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 the pet project I have is to partner with Outdoor Afro, first on a Learn to Swim program for adults, um, adults of color, and then on a Learn to Snorkel, and then a Learn to Scuba Dive program, because that was my pathway. Um, I learned to swim, and then years later I learned to scuba dive, putting me again in a space where I don't look like everyone else. So you didn't just learn to scuba dive. I'm, I, I have a little bit of inside knowledge here, so I'm going to share it. Um, you just last week were certified as a master scuba diver, right? That is correct, yes. Tell me about that. I went from someone who had never jumped into a pool two years ago. I mean, literally had never jumped into a pool. I didn't go to the deep end of a pool. My swimming skills were just enough to get me through 
um, sprint and Olympic distance triathlons by the by the sheer grace of God getting me through the swim, right? Um, and you know, I started kayaking. Part of the outdoor club programming put me in kayaks, and because I was uncomfortable above the water, I kept falling in. And and then I built up a fear that I, every time I got in my kayak, I'd fall in. And the bigger the bodies of water got, the more dangerous that became. And you actually suggested that if I had a better knowledge of what was underneath me in my kayak, I might be less afraid of being on top of whatever it was. And so two Januarys ago, I, I did something straight out of the box. I booked a trip. I headed down to Key Largo. I signed up for a, a three-day course to learn how to do open water. And I was horrible. Um, I was put in a class with six gentlemen who knew how to scuba dive. I was stuck at the bottom of a pool, overweighted, and laid there for about 20 minutes until my instructor came over and said, you got to come up, and maybe this isn't the right thing for you. Um, I went home, cried a little bit, um, got a phone call from the dive center and said, come back tomorrow, we've got a great guy who can teach you one-on-one, -on -one. and it took off from there. Um, I can tell you that it was, um, I've given myself access to over 70% of the world now. Mm -hmm. You want to uh, give a shout out to the great guy that I taught you how to, to dive? I have to shout out Joel. I have to shout out Joel Adams at Rainbow Reef Dive, dive Center. He is the, he's my dive master for life. He's on every one of my cert cards. Um, he's taken me through open water. He's taken me through advanced open water. Um, he's taken me through every kind of specialty you can imagine. And he recently took me through my rescue diving course. So what was it like when you finally came up and you had this master diver certification? So I didn't know it was a big deal. By this point, um, it felt like, well, this is just what you do. Everybody must do this, and I must be late to the game. And I remember on the dive boat, Joel getting on the top of the boat and saying, you know, ladies and gentlemen, you know, August 24th is a big day in dive history. Didi Mosaleski just became a master scuba diver. And, and I should say this, on these dive boats, I very rarely see anyone who isn't about mid-30s to mid-40s white male. That's the catchment area for most divers. And every now and then you'll see a girlfriend or a wife who comes along. You'll very rarely see single women diving, and you'll very rarely see people of color diving. And on this particular boat, there was, um, there was a great mix. It was the first time I'd seen this kind of a mix of people. And to a person, they were so thrilled. They were more thrilled than I'd allowed myself to be because I thought, well, everybody does this. Mm -hmm. um, and afterwards, a, a family came up to me of um, three young girls and their parents, and they were just wowed. Um, you know, the it's interesting. The... The family is from the South, so um, non-swimmers for the most part, um, black family, um, eager to be in the water, not quite sure what to do in the water, just like I had been. And they came, you know, the idea that here I was being different, doing something so exciting, that I had to get excited. Mm -hmm. But I have to tell you, I didn't know it was a big deal until until it was explained to me that I had done something a little different. Well, it's funny, you know, in a, in, a, in an area of endeavor where you know, maybe the modal experience mm -hmm. for a person of color is people saying, you're not, people like you don't exactly. do this. That's right. It must be thrilling to see mm -hmm. someone like them yeah. achieve virtually the highest mm -hmm. level of recreational diving. I, you know, there's, um, so I'm a military brat. I grew up on the Navy base, mm -hmm. um, and I grew up in San Diego surrounded by water, never learned how to access water. The majority of my friends growing up went into the military, and none of them could swim going in. And you can't get through boot camp without being able to at least um, tread water. And if I say to you that the majority of my friends were Hispanic, Native American, black, and that meant that even going into a place where they had to learn how to swim, they didn't learn how to access water the way they were supposed to. It changes things, right? So it changes things to become proficient and then slightly expert. 
or more expert. So these are things that you and I have been talking about for quite a while. Um, and one of the things that we've talked about is the often unwritten, unacknowledged history of people of color in the outdoors. And I'm, I'm in the process now of reading a book uh, that you recommended to me. This is another shout out. This is a fantastic <laughs> book. It's called The Adventure Gap. And it traces the history of people of color in the outdoors and some of the real pioneers. But it also follows this first all African-American uh, mountain climbing team up Mount Denali, what mm -hmm. used to be called Mount McKinley. Um, as you read that history, what, what stands out as the kind of signal achievements that are often unacknowledged? It was an African-American uh, man who went with Sir Hillary on his first major expedition, and people have forgotten that. Um, I mentioned earlier that the Buffalo Soldiers paved the pathways for the, the great national park system. And I should say that in, in the context of knowing that the original idea behind the national park system was to create a, se uh, a segmented society. So it was to exclude a group of people by giving another group of people access. How, um, how did that come about? The idea was that as the great migrations were happening from south to north and as cities were becoming more, um, more diversified, People who had been in those cities didn't necessarily want to share their housing and their school systems and their public spaces, and so they needed a safe space, what they considered a safe space. And so as the park systems were designed, they were placed away from cities, right? Think of how you access a national park system. You drive for hours. You climb long trailheads. You, you stay overnight in a city that you know isn't near your home, and that was done on purpose to put them in places where people wouldn't have access to them. And so you have returning soldiers of color coming and creating an entire park system, and we'd forgotten that. Um, an entire park system that was designed to, to keep, exclude them. To exclude them. To exclude them. Uh -huh. um, you know, one of the oldest park rangers who's still working is, a, is an African-American woman who can tell you the entire history because she's 90-something she's years old now, and she can tell you about the segregation of the park system. She can tell you. She writes about it all the time. Um, and so that's what we've forgotten. We've forgotten that... Lots of the achievements in design, gear. Some of the gear that we use now was designed specifically by people who were coming out of the military in World War II, designed by black men, and people have forgotten that. And I don't know if we've forgotten it or we have, we've been given a different bill of goods about the story, but it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, if you ask 10 children now how were the park systems created, they'll have no idea. Right, right. and we're in danger of, if you ask 10 children, you know, what it's like to hike or to climb a mountain or to kayak across mm -hmm. a lake, nine of them will say, well, that's not for people Correct. who look like me. Right. And if they think it doesn't belong to them, they'll have no incentive to protect it. And so that means as, as new laws come out that, you know, invade water protection rights and land protection rights, there won't be, there, there won't be any voices to protect the land for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so you'll end up right back to the 70s with, you know, the, the smog rates and you'll end up with high asthma rates and you'll end up with high cancer rates because there's no one to think about the long-term survival of the planet. I mean, that's a really good point. I mean, we, we talk about the year when America is going to become a majority-minority mm -hmm. society, but if we're talking just about youth in the United States, we become a majority-minority youth population in two years. That's right. And so if we don't start uh, cultivating an appreciation for the outdoors, right. we will be losing the stewards of those, of those beautiful exactly spaces. Right. We are going to take a quick break, and when we return, we will have our second guest, Justin Bailey, who is the Appalachian Mountain Club's Volunteer Relations Manager. He'll join us, and just a reminder, 
he is a uh, City College graduate, so we'll be happy to welcome him back to campus. Be back with us soon. Welcome back to From City to the World. We're pleased to welcome now Justin Bailey to the second half of our conversation. So in addition to Justin's work with the Appalachian Mountain Club, he is a licensed New York State outdoor guide, wilderness first responder, as well as a writer, advisor, and gear tester for Backpacker Magazine and REI. Gear tester, that's a, that's a pretty sweet gig, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fun sometimes. So I first met you years ago. I don't know, when did you graduate from City College? 2011. So it must have been about 2010 and a half when I was coming into the main building and first time I ever saw it. There were a bunch of students unpacking outdoor gear and uh, you were one of them. We talked briefly. I remember you. You don't seem to remember me. <laughs> um, but you had started an outdoor club and then graduated and the way these things happened, the, the club kind of went into uh, abeyance. But um, first of all, give us an idea of why as a student it was important for you to, to establish something like that and then tell us what's happened to you since you left CCMI. Sure. Um, so I grew up with a bit of a passion for the outdoors, and here at City College, um, I met a lot of other students that also had that passion for the outdoors, and we didn't really um, see or recognize too many outlets for that um, as students our age, you know, 18 to 20-something years old. Um, and so I thought that I was given a lot of opportunities growing up um, to experience the outdoors and to learn about hiking and backpacking and these things. And kind of a, as a pay-it-forward mentality, I thought it was important for me to begin a club like that at City College where I could bring my experiences and find other people with similar experiences, bring them together, um, and kind of share that with other students at City College. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You just, I understand, came back from... You know, one of the things the Outdoor Club does is it manages a series of leadership trainings where we bring groups of 20 students up to Harriman State Park, and they're there for three or four days, and they do outdoor skills and leadership. And you just came back from one of those uh, sessions, yeah? Yeah, it's great. So we organize uh, three sessions of about 25 students each. Um, each week, 25 students go up for an outdoor orientation leadership program. Um, and what it does is it brings leadership uh, type skills, um, risk assessment, group management, uh, uh, group dynamic type things uh, to college students who are incoming to City College, um, and they take those kind of situations in the outdoors and they apply them uh, to real-world, real-life scenarios. So we kind of mix what happens in the job market, in the real world, uh, in your student life with the kind of uh, skills and leadership experiences you would need in the outdoors to handle those same situations. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, as we started to work, as City College started to work with AMC, you were one of our main points of contact in this, you know, this effort to, to, I mean, AMC's effort, try to figure out what it means to diversify the outdoors and how to, how to, how to accomplish that. And you've been working on this for, for a number of years. I know your responsibilities have shifted a bit lately. Mm -hmm. But can you talk a little bit about why this is important to the organization and, 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 and what's been important steps in that work? Yeah, so um, one of the things that you'll hear a lot um, in the outdoor community um, is the term uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and for the last few years, it's been a very major focus for the AMC. Um, and we've set one of our goals to create a more diverse, uh, more equitable, and more inclusive environment for the outdoor community. And working with City College has allowed us to work um, kind of hands-on with communities who in the past have not necessarily been recognized um, by the greater outdoor community. Mm -hmm. um, it brings us, um, you know, closer with the, the kind of um, 
I guess, minority, majority, uh, Didi, who mentioned that before, um, communities that are going to be the new stewards, the next leaders of the outdoors. Um, you know, the students who are in their 18, or 18, 20 years old now at City College are going to be uh, the new generation of outdoor stewards. Um, they're going to be the people who are going to teach their kids um, and their friends and their family about the outdoors. So it's really important that AMC works with City College and other colleges um, across the Northeast to, to, to grow our outdoor community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of what we've, we've been talking about is the, um, you know, what it means to be the first person to you know, go into a park where, where nobody looks like you, or the first person on a dive boat where nobody looks like you. Um, but of course, all of our students, when they go to AMC and they work with you, they have, they have you. And I wonder, I mean, do you think of yourself as a, as a pioneer or as a leader or as a mentor in this field? And, 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 and is that an important aspect of the work that you're doing? Yeah, to an extent. Um, I grew up, you know, relatively poor and as a person of color um, and as a huge outdoor advocate. And so growing up, there weren't a lot of examples uh, that I could go by um, when I learned about the outdoors, when I became a hiker, when I became a backpacker and a climber. Uh, and so I, I almost find it part of my personal responsibility to, to take those experiences and to show other people like me that have a similar background or even a different background that might have also been under, um, under-recognized in the outdoor community to show them that you know, they can do these things, that the outdoors does belong to them, it belongs to me, it belongs to all of us. Um, and I'm in a position now where I can give back and I can show people and teach people those things. And so I... I I, I do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Dee, what about you? Oh, I think it's a big responsibility, and I absolutely think that I know for sure people look at me and they think, okay, all right, not so bad. Uh-huh. You know, and I think um, if you'd asked me a couple of years ago if I thought I was different, I wouldn't have realized it. Realizing it is important and, and being okay with it is important, but, yeah, I think, um, you know, I, the students I work with, they're a little nervous, and then they see Justin and I, and we're kind of goofy, and, you know, even even age separates, separates us, right? Justin and I are older than the students that we're working with, and so they've got to get past that as well, right? They've got to get past, um, Justin comes from a background, he grew up on Fire Island, and so he's used to being around things that maybe they're not used to being around. Um, I grew up on the beach, and I'm used to things that they're not, so it's all kinds of ways in which we kind of em- em- ambassador-like behavior is important, mm-hmm. so yeah. Yeah, and Didi, you bring up a good point, too. It's that um, I think the more, the deeper you dive into this community as a person of color, the more you recognize how mm-hmm. important it is um, to find uh, a, diver, a more diverse community yeah, outdoors. You, know, you don't see it right away. That's right. Could you say a little bit more about that? I mean, uh, it, like, like, it's good to see people that are like you. It's good to see that there's a space that you didn't think you belonged to. But it sounds to me like you're getting at something a little bit deeper than that. And I, I wonder if you can think so, about what that is. Yeah, um, I guess two stories for you. Okay. Um, one short one is that, you know, I, I had my first major outdoor experience um, backpacking through the White Mountains of New Hampshire when I was about 13, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... I didn't recognize then that I was maybe an anomaly in that community. Uh, I just didn't see it. It wasn't something that people mentioned. It wasn't something that I thought. I'm not going to go and say, oh, I don't see color, but it's just not a thing that occurs to you when you're in that situation. Uh, And then as I got older, 
uh, and I started working in the outdoor community and started meeting people from different industries within the outdoor community, uh, I realized that, you know, certain events, certain programs I would go to, you know, 250 people in a room for a conference, and I'm the only brown-skinned person in that room. Yeah. Uh, and you, you, it, it doesn't so much annoy you as it, it's a curiosity for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, how come I don't see more people like me here? How come there aren't, um, you know, why, why do people don't, you know, why don't people come to these kind of events that, mm-hmm. that have my background? Mm-hmm. What do you think? Didi, you want to? No, I mean... I, I'm with Justin, but I, my annoyance is more directed out um, now that I recognize that I actually was probably part of the problem because I was worried about going places. Now I'm more concerned with why no one's embracing. You can see that you're missing entire sections of the population. Why haven't you figured out a way to embrace? Right? Yeah. Um, especially in, in, in our chapter, we're in New York, and so that means we don't have really get... Well, there's no excuse not to be fully inclusive. So I think that the question is more... What are you waiting for less than what, what was I waiting for at this point? So, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask a question that requires the two of you to kind of speculate a little <laughs> bit. So, um, so hang with me a little bit here. A lot of what you talk about and a lot of what we've seen sometimes is, is an experience of being misunderstood by the dominant hiker, the most, the most common hiker that you see or camper or whatever. And I wonder, like, what, if you were speaking to that group, what, first of all, what do you think they most misunderstand about the effort of, you know, let's say people of color to, to be out in the outdoors? And, and, and what would you say to address that misunderstanding? Not that it's your responsibility to do it, but, you know, let's, let's figure out what's going on here. I, I would think um, a common misconception um, is that the, the, the gap that needs to be bridged is not as much economic as mm-hmm. it is social. Mm-hmm. And I think a common misconception is that if you are a person of color and you're involved in the outdoor community, you need some sort of a handout or you need a step stool to get um, to the place that they are. And it's not so much about that as it is about uh, the feeling of acceptance in that community. And no one wants to go to a party they weren't invited to, right? right. Um, and so I, I guess if I could tell everyone one thing, it would be that you know, if, if there is a person of color or a person that, you know, from an underrepresented community that you come across on the trail that's hiking, they're there for the same reasons as you're there for. They care about the same things you care about. Um, and they just want to be made to feel like they belong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there's also a place where we, where nations still have stereotypes, unfortunately, and and we, the three of us, have actually been in an event where the statement was made, well, they'll come. Justin's laughing already. They'll come to the parks with their boomboxes, and you think, well, first of all, no one's hiking with a boombox. It's extremely hard to hike long distances, and you really don't want to carry anything. I actually alone. have a question about yeah. this, Justin. <laughs> I'll, I'll ask you as a, as a young man of color. Are there boomboxes anymore that people are... In all, right, at all. Right, right. Okay, sorry. Go, go, go ahead. So I think that's part of it. I think, yeah. I think that there's cross-purposing stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for some reason, there's an idea that my hiking, Mount Washington, is somehow different than someone, else, someone else's hike. And while the hike is different, the mountain's the same. And I think that there's some idea that I, I'm going to come less experienced, less prepared, 
um, my gear is not going to be the same, and yet I'm coming with the exact same skill set. And I think there's a perception. Um, Justin's also a climber, and I think that entering a climbing community is a very unique community. And so this idea that maybe he's not going to come as prepared as everyone else, well, but they've decided that before they've seen Justin hit a summit. Yeah. Or they've decided that, you know, I'm not capable of doing something because I wasn't there with them before. And a lot of this is built on relationships. So if you grew up in the same community with the same people for decades, you're going to socialize with them differently than someone you just met who took the train to Tuxedo and then hiked to Trailhead. Right? So you're going to assume that they're different because you didn't go to the same elementary school, the same high school, the same colleges. Your children aren't, you know, friends. You didn't date each other. Right. And so automatically you're different. And I think... I think less of the automatic stereotypes would be a lot, would be very helpful, probably. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's we, we we referenced the the book, The Adventure Gap, mm-hmm. a little bit earlier, and 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 the thing that is crystal clear from the outset mm-hmm. is that there is a there's a kind of symmetry between the the kind of interdependence of a climbing team. You're literally roped mm-hmm. together, so if one person falls. Right. The rest of the people better be able to dig their axes into the ice and, and keep that person from falling off the mountain mm-hmm. on the one hand. And then on the other hand, this sense that this particular group of pioneering African-American mountain climbers are only going to get to the top by dint of teamwork. Right. Independently of the teamwork that's necessary to climb a mountain, mm-hmm. there's, there, there's a kind of teamwork that's necessary to break down a barrier. Absolutely. And that comes out so clearly. I want to talk just a little bit. I'm, um, I'm, now I'm going to plug my stuff. Um, I, I, I will be, um, not just my stuff, it's really AMC stuff. I will be speaking an event later this month or in September, which is a fundraiser for the Youth Opportunity Program at the Appalachian Mountain Club. And this is a program that is now celebrating its 50th year. So it was organized in 1968 as a direct response to um, the civil rights movement. And a year when, you know, all kinds of stuff was going on in 1968. We had our own um, not-so-small campus rebellion at City College in, in, in 1968. Um, and I wonder, so there's two things about this that I think are, are, are really kind of interesting, right? Um, one is, yeah, I'm thrilled to be going to, to speak. I'm really excited to talk about this relationship. On the other hand, we're celebrating a 50-year anniversary for a program that feels almost exactly like the program that we began a couple years at City College. And so I want to ask the question about um, the difficulty of this work, especially looked at over decades, and what it takes to be resilient in the face of that difficulty. I will start by just saying, so the YOP program is probably the best program AMC runs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's thoughtful, it's inclusive, it's, um, I think they serve, they estimate about 50,000 students are served through this program. But here's the problem, if you're 8 to 13, you don't know that you're different, mm-hmm. right? So you're with your friends, you don't notice it. It's when you become an adolescent and when you become a young adult that you start to realize, well, you're different and you kind of... You adopt your, your, your cohort, you adopt your friends. None of us in this space, none, no one doing diversity work is doing amazing work at keeping children through adolescence, through adults. They're doing great jobs as senior citizens. They're doing great job you know, with, with youth under, probably under 15. Everybody else is forgotten. And so I think that the difficulty with the outdoor club for us has been, you know, the reason why we always have a junior and a senior run this program 
is because you'll lose continuity, right? As soon as a senior graduates or two seniors graduate, that's the end of the program. And the idea was to always be reaching back into juniors, sophomore, freshmen. And the idea was that they, they would care about AMC as adults. And so I've got to get them to really get excited about um, conservation issues and trail maintenance and policy issues because that's the space that they're going to move into. And so I think the challenge is we forget that people don't care if they're different until it matters. And as soon as it matters, you find something else to do with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's the thing I've I've sort of identified as one of our big challenges. Mm-hmm. Justin, agree? Yeah, I would also I would also um, add that you know that age between eighteen and say thirty, um, it tends to be a pretty turbulent time mm-hmm. for people. You've just graduated college. You're maybe in your first relationship. You're in your first you know career move. Um, people tend to be a lot more transient, um, a lot less stable, and with that. Uh, your priorities tend to shift mm-hmm. a little bit. You stop thinking so much about outdoor recreation as a as a priority and something that you might be able to do once in a while mm-hmm. if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the challenges is that coming into that age range, um, creating an environment where the outdoors um, is not just like a passion but a way of mm-hmm. kind of living your life. You know, musicians that are musicians for their whole life never really stop playing their instrument. Artists right. never stop painting. Um, outdoors people should never really find, um, never really have to stop being outdoors people. And so I think by, by having the outdoors club here, by capturing people that age range, you are bringing them into being those outdoor leaders, um, uh, and, and stewards, um, and forming a sense of responsibility within them to continue mm-hmm. to appreciate, to continue to, to pass that on to other people and to use the outdoors. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about, I mean, you raised something that's really interesting, Dee Dee. Uh, uh, you know, we have great programming for older people. We have great program for children. We hope that um, people that enter a, a, a youth opportunity program, for instance, develop this as, a, as, as part of their way of living, Justin, as you said it. Um, we don't have a lot of programming for a middle-aged person mm-hmm. who never learned to swim or never learned to kayak or never learned to mountain climb. I was, you know, I'm, I, I ask this question against the backdrop this last weekend. I participated in the per- Percy Sutton 5K run here in Harlem, and it was fantastic. Over 7,000 people, all abilities, all ages, um, but lots and lots of people who are, you know... 10 years on either side of, of my age. And some of them are running and some of them are walking. And a lot of them look like they're, you know, in the neighborhood going through streets that they know, passing neighbors that they like. And that feels different than some of the programming that we do in the outdoors. And maybe it's because it's in Harlem, so you don't have to travel. It's right in the neighborhood. But why do you think, why do you think we don't, why do we think, you think we expect to draw in a middle-aged person by having them persist from a youth program as opposed to doing programming for a 45-year-old or a 50-year-old who maybe never learned to swim? I think you need both. Uh Um, Two years ago, I decided I wanted to learn to surf. And um, no background, right? No knowledge, no nothing, no skills either, by the way. Um, And then I learned there's entire communities devoted to adult, adult women learning how to surf for the first time after 40. Um, I wouldn't have needed to know that at 25. And so I think part of it is we don't we don't educate ourselves. No. I think programs are so small, they don't have a they don't have a voice. So I think that's one. 
Um, and I think you need both. I think you need the student who loves the outdoors through their youth into their adulthood. And I think you need the space for um, inclusivity at an older age. You know, I heard you say middle age, and I thought I was talking about me. And I'm always surprised when, oh, yeah, right, I'm middle-aged. Everything I've learned to do, I've learned to do after 40. Just to be clear, I wasn't talking about I know, about I, I was internalizing, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, um, <laughs> no, I learned it all after 40. I learned to fly fish after 40. I learned to scuba after 40. I learned to hike seriously after 40. Um, and I wasn't thinking about it in my 30s. Right? Yeah. I was raising a kid. I was a single parent. I was working. And thankfully, I live in a place where those spaces available. Lots of people in this country don't live in places like that. Mm-hmm. So they've got to go out and they've got to seek them out. Yeah. 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 One, of the, um, one of the tasks that the, uh, the interns had from City College of AMC was connecting the Appalachian mm-hmm. Mountain Club to um, different groups, uh, different organizations that um, catered to a more diverse community. Uh, one of those organizations was Outdoor Afro. Uh, and since that connection, we have had... Uh, a ton of amazing events uh, that we co-hosted with them. One of those was actually uh, this past two weekends ago. Uh, I had the the pleasure of teaching an intro to backpacking workshop uh, for 20 or 16 outdoor Afro uh, participants, um, most of which were what I would consider middle-aged. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, and I think it's really... Because you're still young. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I would... Um, I, I, I consider that a really important thing to do, and this is a group of adults... Um, who later on in life decided that they wanted to take up a new hobby to learn something new. And I think it's just just as important to have those types of programs as it is to have programs for youth and, and to yeah. create people, users for their, you know, their whole lifetime. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you, you, know, you just used the word hobby, and that's how this started for me. I didn't know what a hobby was. Um, and I kept asking you. Remember, I kept asking all my colleagues, like, what's a hobby? How do you pick a hobby? I didn't realize that all the hobbies I thought existed were actually lifestyle choices. Mm-hmm. And so I never think of myself as being, as having a hobby of hiking or a hobby of diving. It's a lifestyle choice. It's just what I do. But I didn't know that. And I think the outdoor Afro ladies who have been talking about Justin ever since they left him two weeks ago, mm-hmm. they don't think it's a hobby. They don't realize they flipped the switch a little bit in their heads. Now it's just what they do. Yeah, yeah. We are, we're running out of time, but it occurs to me we've been spending almost an hour talking about making outdoor activities accessible. And between the two of you, you've got a lot of information, both for City College students who may be interested in the Outdoor Club and people who are out in the community who may be interested in Outdoor Afro or Unlikely Hikers or the AMC itself or the Youth Opportunity Program. So what I want to do is I want to give the two of you a minute each to just plug your heads off. Uh, like, uh, how, how should people in all these different spaces who are interested in getting involved in this work, what should they do? Who should they contact? If you're a student on campus and you are interested in the outdoor club in any of its capacities, you want to learn about it, you want to hike, you want to become a leader, find me. Find me on campus. Email me. Find me um, in my office in Shepherd 154. Find Justin at jbailey at outdoors.org. Um, find Jasmine Santiago at jsantiago.outdoors.org and ask us. Um, 52 hikes a year, every skill level, um, from a one-mile hike to a you know 20-mile round-trip hike. Um, if you are an adult off-campus, if you're an adult on-campus, adjuncts, faculty, staff members, administrators, and you want to get involved, it's actually open to everybody. Anybody can join the hikes. Um, if you have an interest in AMC as a whole, Justin? I'd encourage you to visit um, outdoors.org. It's AMC's website. And, you know, AMC runs about 8,000 trips a year all across the U.S., all across the world. Um, so it's a pretty large organization um, here in New York. 
you can find something happening almost Excellent. every day, um, all skill levels, all age groups, all difficulties. Um, so uh, outdoors.org is the website you would go to. Um, and check out the New York, New Jersey chapter. Um, they have a Facebook page. Um, it's just search for AMC New York, New Jersey on Facebook. It's a pretty lively page, and you can really get a lot of information there. And it's a pretty good community, too. So if you have any questions about the outdoors, everyone's always happy to answer questions like, hey, what kind of boots should I wear? Or, mm-hmm. right. you know, how much water should I bring with me? That's right. right. And we've talked, we've talked a lot about Outdoor Afro. And, and so just as, as an allied and friendly organization, mm-hmm. How does one get in touch with Outdoor Afro? So they also have a Facebook page. If you search for Outdoor Afro New York, you can't miss it. Um, they have a pretty active Twitter account. Mm-hmm. Um, my good friend Katina works right here in Harlem. So if you're interested, you find her on Facebook. She'll answer any question you have. She's there, one of their New York leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, I also should say that if you are an adult on campus and are interested in learning how to swim, we are absolutely building a swimming community here. So reach out to us. That's fantastic. Yep. And I just want to add, too, that AMC does a lot more than just hiking as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. If, you if you're interested in sailing and backpacking and fly climbing, fishing. fly fishing, skiing, yep. you know, any, any analog yep. outdoor sport we pretty much do Everything but scuba. <laughs> Everything but scuba. Yes. Where would one go if one wanted to scuba dive? Dee? The only place I go if you want lessons is Rainbow Reef Dive Center in Key Largo. Okay. Um, you can't all have Joel, <laughs> but absolutely that's the place to go. So, listen... Um, Get out there, everybody. Yeah. Um, the outdoors is for everyone. And if we want to preserve our shared national heritage, then the things we've been talking about, hiking, climbing mountains, kayaking, fishing, backpacking, it's for everybody. This is our shared birthright. And if you're in a national park and you're hiking on a trail, remember that it is more than likely that a buffalo soldier was the first one to to lay that trail. So. Don't just be out there. Be proud when you're out there. Um, so thank you for listening to From a City to the World. I want to especially thank our two guests, Justin Bailey from the Appalachian Mountain Club, Didi Mozaleski, also from the Appalachian Mountain Club, and not incidentally my office here on campus. So this show is produced by Angela Harden, and um, I also get a co-producer credit so I also Vince Boudreau produced this the board is operated also by Angela Harden I'm your host Vince Boudreau the president of City College and I hope you will join me again for From City to the World thanks for listening everybody mm-hmm.